We're going to be in the parallel um, passages of 2 Chronicles 35, 2 Kings 23. We're still in the story of Josiah. He has brought revival, redemptive grace from God has worked through him and for two kings previous to his reign, the southern kingdom of Judah has grievously sinned, committed idolatry and false worship just like they had done in the northern kingdom. And the northern kingdom, of course, has been dispersed, dissolved by the power of God because of their sin. The southern kingdom has already come under judgment during the time of Hezekiah. You may recall when we were, when we were back in Hezekiah's time, the Lord told Hezekiah because he helped establish some reform as well, that he would not bring judgment upon the people while Hezekiah lived. Then came two evil kings and now Josiah. And Josiah, you, remember, you know, he's very young. Eight years old, he became king. 16 years old, he, be, he, be, he sought the way of the Lord. Uh, 20 years old, he made uh, decisions to uh, reform the land. Going on into his 24th year, he would rebuild uh, the temple, cleanse and reform the temple, make it back like it should have been. Because as you recall, as we studied, the previous kings had established um, pagan altars in the temple. It's unbelievable. So he's still young. He's, he's uh, not, not even 40 years old yet. But the next thing is for him to restore the worship, something people hadn't seen and participated in for perhaps as long as nearly 50 or 60 years. So we look at a section tonight where correct worship is reestablished as Josiah restores the Passover uh, with the people. And my clicker ain't clicking. I'll tell you what. Somebody bigger than you or I. Okay, well, you know, I'm, my feet hurt, my legs hurt too bad to dance. So I could just sing without dancing, I thought. Let me give it a try. The greatest thing in my life is how much I entertain my wife all the time. She's my biggest fan. I show up home from work and she just dies laughing. Doesn't stop. Second Chronicles chapter 35. Josiah made the Passover sacrifice in Jerusalem to Yahweh. They slaughtered the Passover sacrifice on the 14th day of the first month. And he stationed the priests on their watches 
and he encouraged them to the service of the house of Yahweh, the temple. Of course, the Passover is, is the foundation of who they are uh, to worship the last thing that happened, which sent them out of Egypt and toward the promised land. The Passover is uh, very sad. The Passover, that's when the Lord Christ uh, was crucified. The great time of Passover, they had not. You have to ask yourself the question. What if, what if you, you know, you're, you're, you're a person committed to, to the Lord and, and church work and, and going to church. I don't know how a person can't go to church. Um, and then just for 20 or 30 years, just decide to quit it. That's, that's comparable to what had happened in the life of Israel or Judah. Uh, in the 50 or 60 years, no worship. You remember last time they found the, uh, the scroll of the law, the only Bible that existed in those days. They found it. It had been hidden. Nobody had read the Bible for 60 years. It's unbelievable that they were able to stay, stay together as well as they did. Now, the next course, they've read the book of the law, and there are details there that the people just didn't think much about. One of them was the importance of Passover, because it was there in the book of the law that they had uncovered and discovered for the first time in decades uh, the account of how Yahweh delivered Israel from um, Egypt, the Passover. He passed over those who had the blood on the doorpost and the firstborn of every other family died. Uh, what a significant and remarkable thing God did to the great. And still at this point in time, Egypt is still one of the greatest powers in the world. So naturally reading the uh, law he would uh, keep moving on in his reforms to make sure that uh, the people were in step with Yahweh. This was supposed to be a perpetual, uh, solemn service before the Lord, the Passover. It wasn't to ever stop. So, so he, he obviously learned from the book of the law what the priesthood is supposed to, could it be that even the priesthood forgotten or didn't know, hadn't done it so long? I don't know. Uh, but he obviously in verse two, he stationed the priests on their watches and he encouraged them uh, to the service of the house of Yahweh. He said to the Levites who taught all Israel, very important phrase there. The Levites were the teachers of Israel. All they had at that point, as I said earlier, was the law of Moses, first five books of the Bible. That's all they had. But if you really study that, it is replete with, uh, with uh, doctrinal richness, even the doctrine of the Christ, uh, the doctrine of salvation, all these things. And what would go into the meaning, for example, of a, of a trespass offering or a sin offering? Uh, what's the difference? What would go into a, uh, 
a burnt offering, uh, a meal offering. Well, anyway, there were lessons to be taught in, in every sacrifice, in, in, in the Passover, uh, even, even the Passover meal in the time of Jesus as they had perpetually set the Passover meal among the Jewish families. There, there were meanings to everything that was on the table. Uh, and it was a time where the head of the household could teach uh, about the Exodus. And so certainly here, uh, there would be no uh, slack of, uh, of teaching material and opportunities for the Levites. He said to the Levites who taught all Israel. And what a lesson. Every time you bring the best of your flock and uh, the the, the thing, you had to find the one that was unblemished. There was no spot on it. Uh, there was nothing wrong with it. It was the best that you had. And you had to bring that thing to the altar to make the sacrifice and to cut the throat and to bleed it out. It's what would seem like a simple, perfect animal. And it, it in itself was, was the lesson of, of the horror and the deep cost of sin and what God requires in place of our sin, a perfect atonement that we might be justified. Just, just that alone, all the lessons that the Levites could teach the people with everything that they did. He said to the Levites who taught all Israel who were holy to Yahweh, place the holy ark in the house that Solomon, the son of David, the king of Israel built. You have no burden on the shoulders now serve Yahweh, your God, and his people, Israel. Prepare yourselves for your father's houses according to your divisions. Now, now David, of course, the, there were so many Levites after a period of time, they, the tribe became so large, and there was only so much that could be done in a 24-hour period, and only so many people could fit into such an area that... Uh, they were divided into 24 watches. And it is said that you could have been a Levite and you were in a particular watch and you might not have ever had to provide service in the temple, but once or maybe twice a year, uh, that's why Levites were then required to retire at the age of 50. There, there were so many of them and there were so many of them available to do what needed to be done. Prepare yourselves for your father's houses according to your divisions, according to the writing of David, king of Israel, and according to the writing of Solomon, uh, his son. Stand in the sanctuary according to the divisions of the father's houses of your brethren, the members of the people, and let there be for each a division of the father's houses of the Levites. And slaughter the Passover sacrifice. Sanctify yourselves and prepare your brethren to do according to the word of Yahweh by the hand of Moses. In other words, what was written in the law about the Passover. So the importance, the people had forgotten. The people were so far removed from the regular. I'm sure that maybe one here and there, I don't know. Uh, they still had the temple. Um, I don't know, but you, if you let your imagination, uh, if you use your imagination, you can think that surely there were still some families somewhere that tried their best, maybe, uh, to observe the Passover, but not having the law, uh, they couldn't get the details right year after year. You know, we used to, uh, you may remember, we play a game when we go somewhere, on a, I think we did when we was at First Baptist Southside, 
we would we would uh, we were going somewhere on the bus to go eat or something, and somebody we played a game about whispering something. At, you know, uh, you know, did you did you notice that the president had a white striped suit on today, uh, and that he spoke on uh, taxes? Not a real long sentence, but a long sentence. And so you had 40 people on the bus. You whispered that sentence to everybody. You know, and by the time you got to the end of it, it was something like uh, uh, the president didn't have anything on today, but he wasn't ashamed to go out and talk about raising taxes. Or, you know, I mean, <laughs> by the time he went through 40 sets of ears and 40 sets of lips, it was totally different. Point being, there's no telling how messed up the Passover may have been until they found the book of the law and they were able to read it. And so obviously the Levites had to be trained or retrained or things had to be straightened out to make sure everybody understood what they were supposed to do and how this was supposed to happen. And in their divisions and their watches, they went out and it was so serious that as, as, as many families as possible uh, were to participate in the in the Passover because this was a great lesson for the people. They wouldn't have been a people uh, at that point in time had Yahweh not intervened in their behalf. So uh, this is a very important thing to re re-implement the, uh, the the Passover, and just as it came from the law of Moses. Josiah separated for the members, the people, uh, small cattle, lambs, young goats, all for the Passover sacrifices for all that were present. For the member of the 30,000 and the large cattle, 3,000, those, uh, these were from the king's property. And his officers separated for the people, for the priests, for the Levites, Chilkiah and Zechariah, Zechariah and Jehiel, uh, the rulers of the house of God. And he gave the prophets, uh, gave the priests, for the Passover sacrifices, 2,600 small cattle and large cattle, uh, 300. Uh, and Kononaniah and Shemaiah and Natanu, his brethren, and Hashabiah, the chiefs of the Levites, separated for the Levites for the Passover sacrifices, 5,000 small cattle, 500 large cattle. This was no small thing. This, this would have taken a long time and a lot of priests to help to do what they were doing in their worship. The service was established. The priests stood in their place, the Levites at, in their divisions, according to the command of the king. They slaughtered the Passover sacrifice and the priests sprinkled with their hand and the Levites were flaying. And they removed the burnt offerings to give them to the divisions of the father's houses of the members of the people to sacrifice to Yahweh. As it is written in the uh, book of Moses and so for the large cattle and they cooked the Passover sacrifice with fire according to the law. The hallowed things they cooked in pots and cauldrons and in pans and carried them quickly to all the members of the people. And afterwards they prepared for themselves, for the priests because the priests, the sons of Aaron, were engaged in offering up the burnt offerings and the fats until night. So you see, this is just a long, lengthy thing. 
And the Levites prepared for themselves and for the priests, the sons of Aaron, the singers, the sons of Asaph, were in their place according to the command of David, Asaph and Heman and Jadutin, and the king's, the king's seer, and the gate sentries for each gate. There was no need for them to depart from their service, for their brethren, the Levites, uh, prepared for them. The service of Yahweh was well established on that day to perform the Passover sacrifice and to offer up burnt offerings on the altar of Yahweh according to the command of King Josiah. The sons of Israel who were present performed the Passover sacrifice at that time. And the festival of Matzot, seven days. Such a Passover sacrifice had not been made in Israel since the days of Samuel the prophet. And neither did any of the kings of Israel make such a Passover uh, as Josiah did. And the priests, the Levites, and all of Judah and Israel that were present, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, in the 18th year of the reign of Josiah, in the Passover, uh, that this Passover sacrifice was made. So he's 26 years old at this point. Young guy, 26 years old. But after reading the law, he saw that there were some corrections that needed to be made. There were some instructions that needed to go out to the people. And there was a service of worship that had been neglected and ignored. And it was priority one to get this worship back underway. God's people worship God. They didn't have church like we do back then. Of course, they had the Sabbath day. But the Sabbath day, they were to rest, perhaps reflect on the, on the scriptures. Uh, but they weren't to do anything. Uh, they, were, they were to rest. Of course, they could pray. But their, their, worship, their worship was around the sacrifices and the fast, the feast days and these other special times that had been written in God's calendar. They were God's people. Uh, and this was a very special, these were very special times established uh, through covenant between Yahweh and Israel. Nobody else in the world could do this, only Israel. These were God's people. These were Yahweh's people. So at 26 years old, he had, he had obviously read the law and uh, had committed the instructions wanting to be done. He knew that it belonged in the hands of the priests, the Levites, the certain things for the sons of Aaron, uh, the family of the high priest. Uh, and it took a long time for them to have that worship. The Bible itself says there had never been a worship service like this since the days of Samuel, uh, the prophet. Now here's what 2 Kings uh, 23 says about it. The king commanded all the people saying, perform a Passover sacrifice to Yahweh your God, as it is written in the scroll of the covenant. Uh, for such Passover sacrifice had not been performed since the time of the judges who judged Israel and all the days of the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah, except in the 18th year of King Josiah. This Passover sacrifice was performed to Yahweh uh, in Jerusalem. And also the necromancers and those who divined by Jedobon and the uh, teraphim, and the idols and all the abominations that were seen in the land of Judah and in Jerusalem, Josiah abolished in order to fulfill the words of the Torah, which were written in the scroll that Hilkiah uh, the priest had found in the house of Yahweh. Now before him, there was no king like him who returned to Yahweh with all of his heart, with all of his soul, with all of his possessions, according to the entire Torah of Moses. And after him, 
no one arose like that. Nevertheless, Yahweh did not turn back from his great wrath for his wrath was kindled against Judah because of all the provocations that Manasseh had provoked him. Yahweh said, I will remove Judah also from before me as I have removed Israel. And I will reject this city, which I've chosen, Jerusalem and the temple concerning which I said, my name shall be here. Okay, so here's a warning shot uh, regarding about what's to happen. Remember Yahweh, we saw this last time, Yahweh had made the promise to Josiah. He said, look, I'm coming against Judah. My wrath is already kindled. It's already a settled fact. I have judged Judah. He judged Israel. He took them away. He removed them from being a nation. Now Judah, where the son of David sits as a king, and a lot of the details we get from Ezekiel, uh, who sort of gives us a, 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 a newspaper update with all that's happening as the wrath of God unfolded upon Judah and Jerusalem and the temple and the priesthood and even the son of uh, David. His wrath has not been forgotten. Now he promised Josiah, he said, my wrath's not gonna follow, fall on them in all of your days. As long as you're alive, it's, it's okay, it's cool, everything's all right. And so the people are enjoying this revival, this restoration of service, but Josiah dies according to the will and purpose of God. Nobody ever been like him as a king. Uh, he, he, he does engage a fight that he didn't have to engage. Uh, he chose the wrong fight. You ever done that? Man, I have. Uh, you know, uh, and uh, one of those wrong fights drove me into martial arts. I can tell you, I don't, I don't want that to happen to my face again. Uh, no, but really, um, Josiah took up a fight that he didn't really have to take up because he had not sought Yahweh in this. Now let's talk about the Battle of Carchemish. One of the key battles in the history of mankind, Battle of Carchemish. Here's the deal. The Assyrians are beginning to falter. Uh, their, their capital had been run over, had been overrun in 609 uh, BC. They moved it to another city called Hara. And they still had something of a formidable army, but they begin to lose their control in the world because of the rise of the Babylonians. And here's uh, a picture, uh, a couple of pictures. We'll look at two or three of them. Um, you see Gaza right down there, almost in the middle of the, almost in the middle of the uh, slide. We know where Gaza is today, right? Well, that's kind of the land where Judah was. And uh, the city of Jerusalem, um, Egypt is, as you look at it, it's to the lower left, the Egyptians. The Assyrians are seriously weakened in their military power now and in their influence in their part of the world. Uh, the Medes, the Persians, the Scythians, which were uh, the Scythians would be up in the, if we identified them, they would be up in the upper right-hand corner, sort of the lower part of where Russia is. And then Babylon, 
which was Iraq, and the Medes and the Persians, which is today called Iran. They had really done a number on Assyria. So the Egyptians are going to make a move from Egypt. And the Egyptians are thinking that they are strong enough to assume the power of the world in that part of the world. So they're making their move. And they're headed to engage the Babylonians who have some, who have some minor help from Medes, Persians, and, and Scythians. And Egyptians have some minor help from what's left of the Assyrian army. And so they're moving up. The Egyptians will pick up the Assyrians along the way and they're going to head for Babylon. Well, along the way, well, let's look at it. Uh, here's, here's another uh, you see the city of Jerusalem there, the, the way the battle's going to move. And then here's another one. I don't know if this one's easy to see or not, to uh, get a little clearer picture, uh, to get an idea of what's happening in the world. Okay, so you have the Babylonians and their allies, and you have the Egyptians and their ally. Josiah wants in on the action for whatever reason. Who knows? Um, but notice, notice what happens to him. After all this that Josiah had prepared the temple, Necho, the king or pharaoh of Egypt, went up to wage war in Carchemish on the Euphrates, and Josiah went forth toward him. He was going to have to skirt the land of Judah and move up toward, uh, toward Babylon. For whatever reason, Josiah is going to go to war with him went forth toward him. And he sent messengers to him saying, this is the Egyptian sending messages to Josiah. What have I to do with you, king of Judah? You're not on my, you're, you're not on my list, man. Leave me alone. You're going to be okay. Just stay where you are. Uh, not against yourself do I go today, but to my place of war. And Elohim said to hasten me. As we read it here in this verse and in the, the account that comes from 2 Kings, he is following the voice of God, Elohim. He's not called Yahweh because Yahweh is, is not his God, but Elohim is God, the almighty God. So he says, Elohim has clearly said to me that I need to hasten to war. Desist from meddling with Elohim who is with me. And he'll not destroy you. Now, here's a Pharaoh telling good King Josiah, you're going to be in a bigger mess than you want to be in if you come against me. It was obvious to the well-seasoned Pharaoh that he had superior forces and that Josiah uh, was something of a rookie when it came to these world-class wars. And he didn't have the material, the military uh, and he, he just strategically in every other way, nothing was in Josiah's favor. On top of that, he did not go to Yahweh about whether or not to go to war. But all of this is keeping in the purpose of God because Babylon is going to come out being the big winner here. Uh, the Babylonians are going to crush everybody. Nebuchadnezzar was the he was the head of the armies. His father, Nebuchadnezzar, was the king. He was the king of Babylon. 
His son, Nebuchadnezzar, was the guy who, who had put the strategy together and he controlled, he was the chief of staff. He was the, he was the main general of the armies of Babylon. And they are well prepared for this. Uh, and they're headed, they're headed to butt heads with the Egyptians and those who are tagging along with the Babylonians and the Assyrians, what's left of them, who are tagging along with uh, the Egyptians. Reading historically in that era, it's easy to see how Pharaoh Necho believed that he had uh, the upper hand in the battle, which obviously he didn't. The main reason he didn't is because God would use Babylon to enslave Judah, who he has already told us, and he told Josiah, I'm not going to let it happen while you're alive, but after that I'm going to bring them into judgment. You see, here's the point. We're probably next week, I don't know if God gives us next week, we may reach the end of this long study of Kings and Chronicles because we're going to be in the last chapter uh, next time. And these sons of David are idiots that follow Josiah as king and, and things, things just get unraveled quickly. So Josiah has to die before the judgment of God falls because God has promised Josiah my wrath won't fall on them while you're alive. So he's 39 years old. And for whatever reason, he goes up against the Egyptians. Okay, so here we go. Don't do this. You're meddling with Elohim because Elohim is with me. Don't do this and he won't destroy you. But Josiah did not turn his face away from him. He disguised himself to wage war with him and he did not hearken to the words of Necho from the mouth of Elohim. And he came to wage war in the valley of Megiddo. That's where Armageddon will be. And the archers shot at King Josiah. And the king said to his servants, take me away for I am sorely stricken. Arrow, at least one, found its way to Josiah. And Josiah is going to die from his wounds. His servants took him away from the chariot. They put him uh, into his second chariot, brought him to Jerusalem, and he died. He was buried in the graves of his forefathers. And all of Judah and Jerusalem were mourning for Josiah. Jeremiah lamented Josiah and all the male and female singers spoke of Josiah and their lamentations until this day. They made, him a, 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 they, they made them a statue over Israel and behold, they are written uh, in the lamentations. Okay, so he's just, he's, it was a foolish thing. He killed him. But it's also, in the, it's also in the purpose of God. The rest of the affairs of Josiah and the king's, de his kind deeds are written in the law of Yahweh. And his early and late affairs, behold, they are written in the book of the kings of Israel and Judah. Now, 2 Kings gives a brief account here of what happened. The rest of the events of Josiah and all that he did are written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah. In his days, Pharaoh went up against the king of Assyria by the Euphrates River. King Josiah went toward him and killed him in Megiddo when he saw him. And his servants transported him dead from Megiddo. And they brought him to Jerusalem, buried him in his grave. The people uh, of the land took Jehoah uh, as his son, the Josiah's son, and anointed him and made him king.
instead of his father. Okay. Certain events had happened in 609 BC that had weakened Assyria. The Battle of Carchemish happened in 605 BC, so it's four years later. So the Egyptians know that, and obviously somehow God moved upon Pharaoh uh, to go after Babylon. And he knew he would have to finally go through the Assyrians, some of whom had actually joined the Egyptian army, according to historians. And he's on his way uh, to Babylon um, by way of Assyria. And of course, Josiah tried to stop him uh, from meeting the Babylonians. But now at this very key battle, the great power of Assyria was broken. The great power of Egypt was broken. The Medes and the Persians were shown to be insignificant, uh, as were the uh, as, as were the, um, the Assyrians after all, of the, as was Josiah and Judah. Uh, at that point in time, Judah would have been at best a B team or a junior class player. Uh, it was just a strategic, a totally strategic error, obviously guided over by the will and purpose of Yahweh. Because now after this, and we just shut it out here, these chapters, what happens after this? is the rapid decline and final collapse of Judah uh, because of their sin. Okay, all right, we'll stop there and we'll have our deacon prayer time.